Welcome to the Invested Dads Podcast, simplifying financial topics so that you can take action and make your financial situation better, helping you to understand the current world of financial planning and investments. Here are your hosts, Josh Robb and Austin Wilson. All right. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to the Invested Dads Podcast, a podcast where we take you on a journey to better your financial future. I am Austin Wilson, research analyst at Hicks and Zerker Capital Management. And I'm Josh Robb, director of wealth management at Hicks and Zerker Capital Management. Austin, how can people help us with this podcast? We would love it if you would subscribe. If you're not subscribed, so hit that follow plus whatever subscribe button you have on your device. And we would also love it if you'd visit our website and sign up for our weekly newsletter to get notified each and every Thursday when a new episode drops with a nice little summary and a direct link to listen there. So, Josh, today. Yes. We're going to be starting a new series. And okay. I'm excited about this series because this is kind of in my wheelhouse. This is you. This new series is where we are going to be highlighting some of America's largest publicly traded companies. Yeah. So we're going to give a little bit of background, talk about what the company does, how and where it makes money, and a little bit about their financials. Yep. Now, we're going to be talking about companies. We are. Which they're going to be publicly traded. Perfectly publicly uh, but this traded. Is not a recommendation. None of us. We're going are. to be highlighting random companies from different sectors yep. and industries but before you make a decision whether you want to own this company make sure you talk with your advisor before yes. doing anything we're not recommending just because we're highlighting one doesn't mean it's necessarily the right investment for you absolutely and with josh's compliance hat Take firmly on his head yes we're gonna keep going here so let's start with a company everyone knows apple yep apple is a two trillion dollar behemoth big in the U.S. stock market, it also represents 6 to 7% of the S&P 500. Yep. A lot. Yep. So it's a large company. So let's get our head around Apple, what they do, mm-hmm. talk about their financials, leadership, everything. So Apple mm-hmm. designs, manufactures, and markets smartphones, personal computers, tablets, wearables, and accessories. The company also offers and sells a variety of related services. Apple products include, obviously, the iPhone, team iPhone right here. The company recently released its iPhone 14 product line. Other Apple products include Mac computers, iPad tablets, Apple Music, Apple Watch. There's services that they do as Mm -hmm. well. Apple Care, Cloud, digital content, payment services like Apple Pay. And they recently got in to entertainment with Apple TV+. Plus. They were also starting to do some debt services. They're going to call it the IOUs. The IOUs, I like it. I like it. So more than 60% of Apple's revenue comes from outside the Americas. So it's a large chunk outside the U.S. Let's talk about how the company operates. So they rely on the iPhone for more than half of their sales. Okay. While other hardware products, Mac and tablets, so iPads, account for about 10% each. Services that we already talked about, that's the second biggest revenue producer, about 20% of sales. And that's really grown a lot recently. The wearables home and accessories segment, which includes the HomePod and the Apple Watch, that's another 10%. So their operating systems are kind of all intertwined with all these products. You've got iOS for mobile devices, Mac OS for computers, Apple Watch OS for the watch, iPad OS for the iPad. Catching a theme, that's how I didn't realize that the iPad had a different operating system. It recently went to that last year or so, where they split iOS and iPad OS, and the iPads now have a bit of a different... There's more capabilities, okay. really, within an iPad. So geographic-wise, Apple, the company, they're based in Cupertino, California. They generate more than 40% of their sales in Americas. So that would be the 60% we talked about elsewhere. While Europe and greater China contribute a quarter of revenue and about 20% from China. Japan, that's about 10% of revenue mm-hmm. there. 
The company has facilities and land for corporate functions, R&D, data centers, retail, and other purposes throughout the U.S. and in various places. So how do they sell products is the question that you're probably wondering, Josh. Yeah, how do they do it? Well, they sell their products and resale third-party products in most of its major markets directly to consumers. They do that for small and mid-sized businesses, education companies, enterprise and government customers, through even its own retail source and website and a direct sales force. They employ a variety of indirect distribution channels as well, like third-party sell companies like AT&T, Verizon, those sort of things there. Wholesalers, retailers, resellers. You know, you can get things like iPads and stuff at Best Buy or Costco or Walmart and stuff like that. Direct and indirect channels. So that's whether they're going direct to the customer or indirectly to the customer to a third party that accounted for more than 35 and 65% of Apple's sales. Indirect seems is the bigger of those two. Correct. Yep. yep. So direct is 35%. Indirect would be 65%. So, but that direct piece is growing as well, faster. So, how do they do this? Well, first of all, they're doing this through launching new products and investing Mm -hmm. heavily in R and D, which is driven by headcount. So, they're spending a lot of money investing in people to develop products and services for customers. And because the industries in which the company competes are characterized by rapid technological advances, the company's ability to compete successfully depends heavily on its ability to ensure a continual and timely flow of competitive products. If you're an Apple iPhone user, they want you to continue to be an Apple iPhone user or Mac or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you must constantly be creating a better one and getting more people to upgrade and stuff like that over time. So that's how that works. So let's get into the background a little bit of the company. Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, notably college dropouts. Both Steves. Both Steves. They founded Apple in 1976. The duo built the Apple One in his garage and sold it without a monitor, keyboard, or casing. Wow. Demand convinced Jobs there was a distinct market for small computers, and the company's name, which was a reference to Jobs' stint on an organ farm, and the computer's user-friendly look and feel set it apart from others. Interesting. So the company's Macintosh, which is where we get the term Mac, yep. made a splash in the mid-'80s, driven by a Super Bowl commercial, actually, in 1984. As the company grew... I remember that Super Bowl it, commercial. You, I was only one year old, but I've seen it because it's I, very popular. I have seen it, too. Yeah, It's, it's like one of the most popular YouTube videos yeah. out there. It's a really fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's like spacey and yes. it looks awesome. It's futuristic. Yep. So as the company grew, Jobs was actually forced from the company. Mm. Crazy. Apple never really matched IBM PCs in total sales and had a cultural cachet and ease of use that led to its foothold in education, publishing, and creative industries that were kind of the niche markets for Apple computers. And that actually holds through to today. Yep. A lot of the creative side of things and education, but a lot of the creative side of things, those people use Macs. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much what most people use. In the 90s, a succession of CEOs tried different strategies to increase sales, even including licensing the company's technology to third parties to produce Apple clones. Interesting. That did not pay off, nor last very long at all. And Steve Jobs returned to Apple in the late 90s, right when the company was on the brink of bankruptcy. Now, pause real quick. Yeah. One of my first memories of an Apple computer was at my grandparents' house. He had an old Macintosh computer. Oh, yeah. Gray, just a square yep. box. No hard drive. Right. You had those big floppy disks. Oh, yeah. You put one floppy disk in to boot up the computer yep. then pulled that out then put a floppy disk in for whatever you wanted to do, which didn't do much. Yeah. But I do remember, for instance... One time we were at their house and he's like, oh, 
I have a fun project for you. And so he built up his computer with one pulled out, put it in the new disk. And it was, I'm going to say, like an early version of a Microsoft Word. Obviously, it wasn't. But it was some sort of spot where you could type. And yeah. he created for each of us kids kind of a, a sheet that we filled out, like a trivia type of thing. Right. But he made it himself. But I mean, if you can think back, there's no operating system, really. No. Just this probably took him forever. But he had it. Then he hit print. And it printed out of those old paper where you had to pull it, rip it off each time. You know, it was like papers were all connected together. You know what? Oh, that, I remember that. That, that was an old Macintosh computer. Well, that computer. old Macintosh computer is probably worth big bucks. Probably. If you were able to get your hands on it today. I, it's, it's gone, I think. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Most of them were. Yes. But yeah, those early Apple products, whoo. Yeah. Major, major bucks. So, yes, like I said, Jobs. Steve he came back. Steve Jobs came back in the late 90s. The company was on the brink of mm-hmm. bankruptcy. What they were doing was not working. He slashed the portfolio in a fraction of what they did and really focused on launching a new Macintosh. Do you, do you remember the iMac? Yes. The first iMac. Colors. All those crazy colors. Yeah, they were really just one, one box. It was yep. a big box. One screen. All in one. The, yep. the tower Everything was in and there. the screen was in one. Yep. And I do remember those. We those didn't have popular. one. We, we were, never had, we had one. a Windows. Yeah. Whatever back then. But they were so cool looking. Yeah. A lot of schools had those. A lot of schools had those. So that is kind of what brought Jobs back. And then he launched the iPod oh, yeah. music player, which led to, technology-wise, the iPhone, which became one of the world's most successful products. Then the iPad tablet. And I remember when the iPad came out, mm-hmm. I was a freshman in college, and it was a huge deal. One of my buddies had one, and I was like, whoa, what is this witchcraft? Yep. It was really cool. It's so skinny. More than 2 billion devices running on Apple's operating system, iOS, have been sold. That's mm. a lot. Yep. While iPhone sales have been surpassed by Android devices. Oh, look at that. I know. The premium Apple charges for its products has driven record sales and profitability. Now, Steve Jobs died. Yeah, passed away. In 2011 from pancreatic cancer. Yep. Um, he obviously left his mark on the tech industry mm-hmm. and has a you know, rather a cult following on the way he did things, the way he led, uh, what he wore, all of these things. And in fact, if you can get a hold of, like, I think I saw his old shoes or something sold for like $100,000 or something. I don't know. It was crazy. But his successor, Tim Cook, has been running the company ever since. Yep. So that's a little bit of a background on Apple. All right. I'm going to pause and uh, do a dad joke of the week for you. And here's a question, and it's about apples, actually. Mm -hmm. All right. So you have a green apple, and you throw it into the Red Sea. What do you think happens? Oh, no. I don't know. Oh, the apple gets wet? (laughs) That's good. That's it. (laughs) Good joke, Josh. All right. We're going to dig into a couple other aspects of the company, first being the competitive advantages. Yes. So when you think about competitive advantages, you want to think about ways the company is set apart from its competitors. Now... Customer switching costs, like what it would take for me to switch to an Android and an mm-hmm. Android user to switch to an iPhone. Yep. That's what a switching cost would be. The difficulty around that, the actual cost behind all of that, that is one major reason that the iOS lifestyle is very sticky or the Android lifestyle. Everything integrates real well yep. and it's really hard to transition from one to the other. Now, if you are in the Apple ecosystem, which I am, it all works together. Mm-hmm. One login does everything. Your iPad, your Apple TV, your Apple Watch, your AirPods, your iMessage, FaceTime, Apple Pay, all of these things suck you in and make it a really great experience, really easy to set things up and link things and do all of that stuff. 
but also make it really, really hard to even consider changing. Right. In fact, recent survey data shows that iPhone customers are not even contemplating switching brands. Now, this is a little older survey, but in December 2018, in a survey, 90% of U.S.-based iPhone users said they plan to remain loyal to Apple devices in the future. Mm. Now, a more recent survey, so that was December 21, from 451 users of Apple products, iPhone users, said that customer satisfaction was 98% for the iPhone 13 product family. Now, the 14 was a rather small upgrade, at least for the regular line. Those numbers haven't been published yet because it just kind of came out. Now, another way that this is so interesting is that things like the Apple Watch, things like AirPods, they can work, but they don't have full functionality if you're using them with an Android. Yep. So if you want that product, pretty much keeps you in the iPhone cycle. And once you pay for it, you're like, well, I already spent money on this, this, now, and this. Now I, but then you get the watch. Now I need a new iPhone. Yeah. It's just a cycle. Oh, man. That's how that works. So that's called stickiness. And they yep. have a very sticky product base. The active installed base of Apple devices, $1.8 billion wow. at the end of 2021, which was up 9% from the year earlier. Apple notably also has cost advantages with suppliers because they're very, 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 very large and a plethora of licenses and patents over their technology. So that protects their profit over time. Now, let's talk about their supply chain because they do have uh, cost advantages with suppliers, but it is noteworthy that the company... 60% of Apple's cost of goods sold is attributable to one company, Ooh. Taiwanese leader Hanhai Precision Industry Company, also known as Foxconn. So if you've heard all of the drama going on with lockdowns in China yes. and iPhone manufacturing backlogs or whatever this is, that's who makes Apple's products, their phones, their tablets, their computers. And because I'm a nerdy guy and that's what I do, what you do. got to talk about the fundies, not funyuns, fundies. Fundamentals of the company. Apple's a pretty fundamentally strong company. I mean, they are obviously huge, but they've grown well too. So, revenue, mm -hmm. top line. They have grown revenue at a 13% compound annual growth rate over the past decade to $366 billion in 2021. Mm -hmm. Operating income has increased at a 12% compound annual growth rate over that past decade to $109 billion in 2021. And adjusted earnings per share, which kind of makes it like for like, you can compare it that way, have increased at a 19% CAGR over the past decade as well to 561 in 2021. All this time, they've also been growing their dividend. They've been increasing their dividend at a compound annual growth rate of 28% wow. to 87 cents per share in 2021. Cash, they've increased their cash at a 14% compound annual growth rate to $35 billion on their balance sheet. Wow. Long-term debt actually... $119 billion at the end of 2021. One of the reasons for this is the company has so much cash offshore because 60% of their company is generating revenue outside the U.S. It's very hard and very expensive to bring that offshore cash back to the U.S. and pay taxes on it. So they can take on cheap debt, or they had been able to reason until recently, here in the U.S., fund operations, but keep that cash offshore and not mm -hmm. have to repatriate it. So that's one of the reasons for that higher debt load there. Capital expenditures, so investments in the business, have increased at a 10% CAGR uh, to $11 billion last in 2021. Free cash flow, 7% growth per year to $93 billion in 2021. And here's one interesting fact. Yes. Diluted shares outstanding. So just think about the numbers of shares out there. And then this takes into consideration things like stock options and stuff like that. 
have decreased at a 4% compound annual growth rate over the past 10 years. Which is a good thing for a shareholder. Yeah. Because if you have fewer shares out there, each share potentially has Your more earnings per share are more per share. Yeah. So when you see a decrease of 4%, that's actually a positive for any shareholders. Fewer shares out there that are splitting the revenue. Yep. So gotcha. Apple has been the leader, really, in the entire market of buybacks. Buybacks. And much to, you know, the... Uh, eyebrow raising to people in Washington. They have like been that. doing it quite well until recently, which it still is, but it has changed a little bit, but a very tax efficient way to return cash to shareholders in lieu of more dividends. Yes. And dividends are taxed. Dividends are taxed. Yes. So here's another interesting component of their fundamentals. They have a double A plus credit rating from Standard and Poor's with a stable outlook, which mm-hmm. they have not changed for a long time and ranked triple A with a stable outlook from Moody's. So good credit ratings. That's yep. why they're able to have so much debt because they've not missed anything. They're very stable. They have a lot of cash. They have a growing well, business. They say a lot of debt. $119 billion is long-term debt. Yep. Well, their revenue is $366 exactly. billion, And they have $35 billion in cash just yep. hanging out. Exactly. Okay. So as we mentioned earlier, their CEO, his name's Tim Cook. He's 61 years old. He's been Apple CEO since August 2011. Before that, he was the Apple's chief operating officer since October 2005. He joined Apple in March of 1998. So around that time, those sweet iMacs came mm-hmm. out and served as executive vice president. Uh, worldwide sales and operations was the segment he was in charge of there from February 2002 to October 2005. From October 2000 to February 2002, he was senior vice president of worldwide operations, sales, service, and support. And... From March 98 to October 2000, he was the senior VP of worldwide operations. So he has had a long relationship with Apple. He's worked there for a long time, held a lot of leadership positions. It really was not a surprise that he was, you know, CEO appointee when Jobs passed away. Yep. It wasn't a surprise. It was not a surprise. Where are they headquartered? California. California. They built that funny looking building, right? It was like a donut. It looks really cool. Yeah, I've never been. It's there. like a circle row, right? I know. Am I right on it that? It is. Yeah. Yeah. That is a little bit about Apple. Okay. The GOAT, the biggest company by market cap and one of the most well-known companies in the world. I think it's a boat, not a goat. Boat? Biggest of all time. Biggest. Ooh, biggest of all time. Uh, greatest of all time. You call it what you want. Again, not a recommendation. Yes. But the question, because we're on the not a recommendation topic, is yes. Josh. Yes. Should you buy Apple stock? Well, you know what I'm going to say. Talk to your advisor. Well, I always say that, but I also it depends. Say it depends in moderation. Moderately depends on your style. It really comes down to this. Now, if you have exposure to you, the United States stock market yep. through whether whatever thing, chances are you probably own a little bit of Apple just because of its size in the U.S. Yes. market. So, if you own any kind of index fund that tracks the large cap here, like an S and P five hundred fund. It makes up a portion of well, it. Well, and even even an active managed mutual fund, a manager probably is likely in in the large cap US space going to own a significant chunk because it's such a big company that not owning it is a big risk mm-hmm. if it did well. Yep. So you can either actively underweight or overweight it compared to the market, but that's kind of how you So it depends. Again, we're not making a recommendation either no. way. Chances are most people who have U.S. stock exposure will have some exposure to this company just because of its size. But it really comes down to what your goals are, like always, what you're trying to accomplish with your money. But 
when we're talking about these, and we'll do some more in the future every once in a while of different companies, it really just comes down to is what are my objectives and where am I trying to go? But what is interesting, what we're trying to point out here is just you look at what they do and they found they weren't they weren't the only one that were making these products. There were other computer companies out there. Right. In fact, they struggled for a while. When they came out with the phone, they weren't the first cell phone. Nope. They weren't the first of anything, really. And in but fact, what they, they, did lagged, is, they lagged BlackBerry for a yes. while. What they did was the they iPhone. found a product and did their best to make it the best product that they could. And at this point, they are able now to charge a premium for their product based on the brand that they've created. And so we wanted to highlight that and kind of the history there. It's very interesting. Thank you, Austin. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for listening to this first episode in this new series. If you had someone, you know, wondering about Apple, yeah. share this episode with them. And again, we'd love it if you subscribe. And if you'd leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, ha, an Apple product as yes. well, or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this. And if you have any ideas of companies you would like to know more about that might fit this series, shoot us an email to hello oh, yeah. at theinvesteddads.com. And hey, we might make that into an episode. So send us any ideas you have. And until next Thursday, have a great week. Talk to you there. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Invested Dads podcast. This episode has ended, but your journey towards a better financial future doesn't have to. Head over to theinvesteddads.com to access all the links and resources mentioned in today's show. If you enjoyed this episode and we had a positive impact on your life, leave us a review. Click subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Josh Robb and Austin Wilson work for Hicks and Zerker Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Josh, Austin, or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Hicks and Zerker Capital Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Hicks and Zerker Capital Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. There is no guarantee that the statements, opinions, or forecasts provided herein will prove to be correct. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Indices are not available for direct investment. Any investor who attempts to mimic the performance of an index would incur fees and expenses, which would reduce returns. Securities investing involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. There is no assurance that any investment plan or strategy will be successful.